We know very well that there are as many books about leadership that there are leaders these days, and each one of them has a four dimension of these, so those seven layers of that. But you are an experienced leader in the field. What do you think is the number one or two attribute that leaders must have no matter what? Uh, for me, it's I have found over the years, especially in the military, but even outside the military, trust between subordinate and leader and leader and subordinate and encouragement. The best leaders have always encouraged me. They trusted me and they encouraged me. They gave me the autonomy and sometimes the authority to do things, even when I thought that's just too much. That's just too much responsibility. I'm not prepared for this quite yet, or at least I don't feel like I am. But they trusted me to do it anyway, and they have encouraged me to do it. And so those two things for me personally have been probably the most important attributes or competencies that I relate to leadership. Trust and encouragement. Morgan, which are your top two? So there's a long list of desired attributes on both sides of that, but the probably boils down to me as being the most important is a sense of empathy, to be able to understand what the team is going through as individuals or as a group. And then the second attribute is the ability to inspire the creation of value. And I think, you know, the creation of value is not just on the commercial side. It's on both the military and the commercial side. It's creating the value that the organization is formed to create and the ability to inspire that and the empathy that goes along with that to me are probably top of the list. That's interesting. And you believe they cut across the domain. I do. And I think that one of the things that I think is sometimes missing from idealized conversations about leadership is the fact that in the end, the organization has to create value to justify why it exists, why it was formed, what its purpose is. And so we can never forget that while we want to have leadership that is encouraging and growing and developing subordinates, at the same time, we have to find a practical balance between over-idealizing a perfect leadership environment versus effectively creating value for the organization. Interesting, this notion of value. Fred, you want to chime in from your perspective again? And again, looking at both the leaders that you help develop, say, in the different military schools, but also your own experience as president and a CEO of a corporation. Yeah, sure. And I will steal a little bit from both Morgan and Scott. So you know, two things stood out. Scott called out trust, the ability to build trust within the team. And Morgan called out empathy. And part of my answer to this question would be character. But expanding on that for a moment, it's worth noting that the Army has done an incredible job, you know, essentially developing lists of what they want out of a leader. And the current list has, say, 25 or 30 attributes, and you can probably find lists with more if you want, right? But I think Scott was very wise in picking trust, or what the Army would say is builds trust. Because when you think about what it takes to build trust amongst the team, many things matter. So Morgan talked about a dynamic balance between achievement in developing subordinates or whatever other factors might come into play. So when we think about it from an Army perspective, we might have things like achieves. That's one of the things the Army wants out of its leaders to be able to achieve mission first. And if you don't do that, you're not going to build trust. If you're not a successful leader, you will not build trust. At the same time, though, the Army tells us that we need 
interpersonal tact. The army tells us that we need empathy. The army tells us that we need character. And I can go on. And all of those act in concert to build trust and maintain that dynamic balance, which is at the heart, I believe, of what both Morgan and Scott talked about. And I'd add that I think that that's really hard. And oftentimes it's underestimated just how hard it is because I think it is dynamic. It changes over time. There are times when you have to make a trade-off between one element or another. And when you make that trade-off between one element or another, you effectively make a withdrawal on trust sometimes, right? When you do that and you have to. And, you know, Scott, I'm stealing that kind of withdrawal of on trust from your checking account idea from you, because I know I've heard you talk about it in much of your work that you did over the years with special forces. No, it's fascinating that those components, a reinforcement of Morgan's answer to my previous questions about the, to which leadership is still relevant, because these are almost like meta qualities that go above your ability to make decisions and your ability to manage uncertainty and your ability to do all these transactional things that leaders do, which to a great degree can be supported and sometimes even replaced by some automated machines or some networks or some other things. But those qualities above that layer, the one that you just mentioned, empathy and trust and building values and trading off, as you just say, Fred, are things that we are far, far from having any technologies that approximates that. And I think perhaps that's what the leaders will do in the future is move up to that next level of worrying about or focusing on those qualities rather than the transactional aspect of leadership, perhaps. Just a hypothesis. Talking about that, there is an old myth in the literature. You can still find it in some unfortunate books in business schools. There is a myth that true leaders are born, not made. All you do at the end is just shave a little bit the corner. Do you agree or disagree? Okay, well, what I feel is that, that there's a long list of attributes that define a good leader. And, you know, based on the prioritization of a unit or an organization, what they're looking for in leadership might vary. And so we may look back at history and say some people were great leaders. Well, they may have been great leaders achieving certain results, but they may not have been great leaders as it relates to mentoring and developing future leaders. So I think that when you look at all these different attributes, what you begin to recognize is that every human being, we're all born on a continuum. And the mix-up of those attributes is kind of like how the cards are dealt to you. And so what I think is, is that you know some people, maybe they are born a little bit further to the right on that spectrum. Some people are born to the left. But our experiences and how we're mentored over life can push us in a positive direction or in a negative direction. So I think that everybody has the opportunity to learn and become a better leader, regardless of where they originally are positioned on that spectrum. That's very comforting because I'm sure that many people in our audience are wondering, you know, leadership is for other people. I'm just an engineer or a good, uh, you know, worker. And leadership is not for me. And you are saying that, no, that's not true. No matter where you start on that axis, you can always strive towards leadership qualities. Yeah, and remembering that leadership is not always the position that you hold. Leadership is doing something well. And so it doesn't really matter what your position is in an organization. There's leadership opportunities. 
that are relevant to that level of responsibility. So I think that everyone is, is a leader. And then there's opportunity for all of us to grow as leaders. I really agree, by the way, with the point that Morgan makes, that leadership can come in, in many forms at many levels in their opportunities to grow. So you know, I deeply believe that humans can grow in any number of ways, including as leaders. With respect to this question about whether or not leaders are born or created, I would simply add that it is no doubt, in fact, the wrong question. And it's the wrong question because it fits with the nature-nurture debate, which has gone on for hundreds of years. Do we come with stuff or do people arrive as blank slates? And the fact is that everything we do, every interaction we have in life is going to be determined in part by both. And I have no reason to believe that we can't develop leaders in multiple dimensions, especially when you think, as Morgan noted, how many dimensions there are that make up a good leader. It's complex. You're not talking about developing one thing. You are talking about developing a lot of things. Thank you. Scott, to go there, maybe based upon what we just heard from President Morgan, could you share some anecdotes without getting into operational details, obviously, but some anecdotes in your own experience even as a soldier, as a junior soldier, when you started your career in the military, when you saw someone and you say, wow, that's a great leader, what did you see in that person? Can you tell us why in the eye of 20-year-old, suddenly that person was a leader? Yes, I have someone in my mind right now. It was a little later in my career. I think I was a late bloomer. But I could tell there was something, there was like this aura about this person that really struck me as this person's going to be a senior leader of this organization, I have no doubt. And I've thought about him quite often. As it turns out, he was. He, I saw him go through the ranks and become a very senior leader in the organization that I was in. He went on beyond that and continued his leadership role at higher and higher levels as a non-commissioned officer at probably some of the highest levels in the Army. What stuck out to me about him was that he seemed untouchable in terms of he wasn't arrogant or anything like that, but he seemed to sort of just rise above the sometimes there's nonsense in an organization or gossip or frivolous kinds of things. And he seemed to stay focused on being a good person to everyone around him. He was a high, very high performer, by the way sort of a top performer, but he didn't sort of laud that over people. He just was. He was very encouraging to those outside of his own little team or his own little troop or whatever he was in. He was always encouraging to others outside of that small circle. And when he was in a leadership position, he was very competent. He was good to those around him, just generally speaking. I never really saw him go sort of into that talking about people and negativity and all those things that can happen in an organization. That's what stuck out to me. I wonder whether or not a combination of this behavior that you describe, we don't know these gentlemen. I don't know these gentlemen, maybe Fred and Morgan do, but instinctively it inspires trust in you, the soldier, that basically you'll yeah. follow that leader because of all this quality of discretion of being uh, yes. even killed and other things like that. 
I wonder, yeah. Fred and Morgan, if you have such an example, also, especially looking up early in your career, whether it's in the corporate world or in the industry, or in academia, in the military, when you saw someone and you sensed that that person was a great leader. So, Daniel, I can share experience. When I was a very, very young soldier, I shortly joined the military. Now, in reflection on this, this is not something that I fully realized or understood. You learn more about leadership, particularly once I met Fred and a couple other people after I retired and we began to work with the Army on leadership. But in this particular situation, I was a brand new private in a company. And my company commander, who had no business of knowing who I was, I always remembered thinking that there's nothing I wouldn't do for him as related to the mission. No matter what he asked me to do, no matter how dangerous it was or how difficult, I was going to give my all. Several years later, I was now a mid-level NCO. He was a senior officer. And we crossed paths. And the first thing he said to me was, Morgan, how's it going? Is your wife still a school teacher? And in reflection, what I realized is that my company commander knew that as a private in his company, my first name was Morgan and my wife was a school teacher. And even if he asked me to do something that would endanger my life or was extremely dangerous or difficult, he was doing it knowing who I was as a person. And that has stuck with me all of my life and trying to understand that these are real people in our organizations. And we may have to ask them to do really difficult things or challenging things, but we should never forget who they are. Maybe that's why you emphasize empathy quite a bit in your explanation yeah, so. of leadership. That's yeah. very good. Fred, any example you care sharing with us? Sure. I'll go way back in my career, but I'm going to twist it a little bit to ask the question and say, what kind of leader do you not want to be? Because I think that that can be equally influential. You know, before I knew anybody on this phone call, I worked for a different company and, you know, there was a member of executive management that was sort of exceedingly hostile and irritable and kind of demeaning. And he had a long track record of really creating a non-productive environment in terms of enabling his employees to feel good about themselves and feel good about the work they were doing. And, you know, the consequence of that was the unit that I worked with, I believe, turned over by about 90% in two to three years. And that's pretty devastating. And you're not talking about a turnover of people who have skills that are easily interchangeable, because everybody I just mentioned had a PhD in some kind of engineering. So that's another example. And, you know, I think that seeing both the positive and the negative can make a huge difference in terms of those you might model or not. And I believe that, you know, Scott earlier brought up the idea of modeling when he mentioned sort of some of his role as a consultant. And I think that is really super important. There are, you know, formalized leader training programs, but probably what you learn more than anything else is from the people you work with on a day-to-day basis. And sometimes like what you talk about when you go out to dinner or you're you know, riding from the airport down to the client site or whatever it may be as being profoundly important in terms of how you develop as a leader. No, thanks for sharing that, Fred, because I think it's important we learn both from those positive and negative examples. And sometimes we learn instinctively, but sometimes also we reason about that and we apply those lessons later. 